Hello and welcome to the Cycling Central Tour de France podcast. I'm Philip Gomes and with me are Jamie Finch-Penninger and Anthony Tan. Well, the Tour de France is over and uh, like last year, Andre Greipel, the gorilla, won the prestigious final stage on the Champs-Élysées as he outsprinted none other than Peter Sagan and Alexander Kristoff, uh, another near miss for him. This is the first win uh, uh, for um, Greipel at the Tour de France this year and his 11th in total. And really, we were all waiting for him to crack one and uh, it came right at the, uh, the death of the race. Chris Froome, as you all know uh, by now, won his third Tour de France after 2013, winning in 2013, 2015. And he has now joined Philippe Tis, uh, Louison Bobet, who that's a name I just absolutely love. And Greg LeMond, who we all know, in the record books, and uh, to join, that's, that would be three-time winners. And, of course, he's just uh, just behind others like uh, Jacques Anquetil, Eddie Merckx, Bernardino, and Miguel Indurain. Whether he gets to five is a whole other story, but at the moment there's nothing to suggest that he won't. The women's La Course was also run, and that was run by, won by Australian Chloe Hosking, who writes for Wiggle High Five. And she beat um, uh, Finnish champion Lotto Lepisto, uh, who writes for Big Lesavello, and, of course, the uh, magnificent Marion Voss, who is always in the mix, and good to see her back racing, who rides with Rabo Liv. But let's, um, let's do this a little bit differently for the finale. Uh, let's talk about uh, winners and losers, so to speak. Uh, teams that came away with their heads held high, of course, Sky. Uh, Lotto Soudal with uh, one stage win on Ventoux and the finale on the Champs-Élysées. So a fantastic result for Lotto Soudal. Orca Bike Exchange, uh, they can come away feeling pretty good with their result because they got a stage win, of course, with uh, with uh, Michael Matthews and the best young rider jersey who performed uh, really like a best young rider. He was, he was fantastic. Uh, and, of course, we're talking about um, Adam Yates. And Dimension Data with Cav and Steve Cummings. And, of course, Movie Star, who really, let's just say their performance wasn't spectacular, but they still ended up with a stage win and a guy on the podium, which really... And, and they won the team's And the team's classification as well. So, But we kind of marked... I, I, I kind of marked Movie Star down. Anyway, but what are your thoughts on, on this? Winners, losers. How do you see this all playing out? Well, I mean, that's... Obvious, the biggest winner clearly is Froome. Uh, I think, I don't know whether we want to talk about this now, but I mean, a lot of people said it was one of the most boring tours de France. I, I, I have to concur with that. I mean, but boring doesn't mean I'm not saying the winner wasn't great. In, in, in some respects, the race was made boring because Froome was so good. I don't, you know, Froome says, I want to come back here for conceivably another five or six Tours de France. So, what's stopping him? Because it's not like he's, you know, he's that maturity that he's got to the, this point as a Tour de France contender has happened relatively late in his career. So, it is quite uh, conceivable that he will go on for at least another three. And uh, so, yeah. But the the losers, it's I mean, it's it's pretty harsh. But yeah, I mean. I prefer to focus on the winner so I don't get pilloried over Twitter. Uh, but I, I guess you have to say that OGE and Dimension Data have 
clearly punched above their weight. And if the reports in the Keep are correct that, you know, the budgets of OGE and Dimension Data are around that 15 million euro mark and Skies are 35 million euros, then you'd have to say, you know, in terms of wins per dollar, if you like, you know, they're, they're above Sky. Yeah, I disagree with you, Tanny, when you said it was the most boring tour. Um, I I really enjoyed it. I thought the 2014 tour, for instance, was much more boring when Nibali skipped out to a massive advantage and and it was essentially Raphael Micah who created the interest in the in the final weeks. This time we had a host of really interesting breakaway riders who were fighting at it out every stage. We okay, had, sorry, boring yeah. in terms of a... I should pro- qualify it. Boring in terms of a GC battle, but you can still... You'll probably still disagree. Oh, yeah, I still disagree because you saw so many moving parts in that uh, final week there with uh, Bardet going up from nowhere and then guys like Port struggling to, you know, take back the time that everyone expected. And I, I thought that... I don't think anyone really predicted successfully the final the final podium. I'll be... I'm sure somebody on Twitter will say, yeah, I, I did it. I picked it from the start. I made $10,000 on a multi-bet or something. But it, it was it was unpredictable right to the finish. Maybe not for first because Froome was so good, as he said. Let's go through that um, Let's go through that podium for a moment. Obviously, Chris Froome, uh, Romain Bardet, who finished four minutes and five seconds behind, Barra Quintana at 4.21, <coughs> Adam Yates at 4.42, Richie Port at 5.17, Alejandro Valverde at 6.16, Joachim Rodriguez at 6.58, Louis Menchez at 6.58 also, Dan Martin at 7.04, and Roman Krusinger at 7.11. And that kind of rounds out uh, the top 10. Um, uh, there were a few names there, obviously, we expected, but there are also a few that we didn't. I mean, we don't see Fabio Aru there. And I mean, I, I think certainly Aru was within everyone's calculations as well. So. Yeah, I, I don't. I think uh, I said it before that Aru is not a rider made for the Tour de France. That's clear to me. Uh, you know, Quintana, if, if he if an off year is finishing on the podium, then that's a great off year. Uh, Bardet, I can see him getting better. I saw a massive improvement in the time trial, particularly. So the French teams. Uh, clearly working on that. They realise the rider must be a multifaceted individual in order to hopefully one day compete against Froome because, yeah, certainly the the battle between uh, second and sixth or seventh or whatever, that wasn't boring. But, yeah, just because of the cavernous gap that we had between Froome and the rest, it was just... He was a cut above, and you know, there's no disputing that. But this this is part of the the overall narrative of the race. Uh, but as close watchers of the race as well, we, we there's a lot of gems in there. Steve Cummings on a breakaway. We're looking for Steve Cummings to to find a stage in which he can just do what Steve Cummings does. Uh, the Peter Peter Sagan's efforts throughout throughout the tour, amazing. Uh, so it's it's I think. The the problem with the tour is that everything is so focused on GC, and, and that whole narrative of how that how that affects the rest of the race that sometimes blinds us to all these little gems that are occurring throughout. Um, you know, v- winning on Ventoux, Thomas de Gaulle. I mean, these are amazing performances. I mean, these are things to be savored. And I think maybe we're becoming a little bit too obsessed with what's happening with 
GC, and we need to get to another level in terms of racing appreciation and starting look at looking at all the smaller battles as well. Yeah, well, I stayed up. I have to confess, I didn't stay up last night. Last night was the only night I didn't stay up and watch every single stage. So uh, I agree with you. So it, if you just look at the overall narrative and and then the stories within that main story yes it was interesting i mean everything from the audacity shown by Froome with the the downhill off the parasaur to going in the break with Sagan running up von two um basically stamping his authority in the the second individual time trial and then yeah you had all these other guys like Sagan winning almost he almost won four stages um you know Greipel just the whole team's Lotto Sudar still believing in their man after three weeks. That takes, you know, a lot of self-belief there. So, yes, yeah, aside from the, you know, first to second battle, if you like, or all the other stories, yeah, there were many interesting facets to this tour. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to... It's hard to encapsulate that all at this late stage of the tour, remembering all the way back to the start when we were amazed by Cavendish and how much he appeared to have improved from his earlier form during the season and how he was taking it to the other sprinters. That that was 21 days ago. I mean, it was only three weeks ago that we were marvelling over that. And you think about, you know, the sights of a yellow jersey going off the front of the peloton with a green jersey. Those are the sort of highlights, I think, that are going to stick with you for for the rest of your life probably in terms of cycling experience and certainly seeing the yellow jersey run up uh, Mon Von 2. That's yeah. an image that I don't think I'll ever get <laughs> out of my head. Uh, that's right. I, I don't have positive, I don't have a positive recollection of that, but it's uh, it's certainly going to be an iconic image. Yeah, I mean, it's these, I think uh, even Froome, it took him a while, it took him about two days or something for him to be able to be self-deprecating about that whole <laughs> issue which I can understand I I think you could probably write a whole book on Richie Port's Tour de France I I, I think I will say you know a lot of people want to know probably not what I think but what uh, Richie has already said look he doesn't care what anyone else thinks of him or says of him as long as his team believes in him that's fine that's his pugnacity that's Richie Uh, what I will say is that he has proven himself to be a leader on BMC uh, at, I don't want to harp on his age too much, but if if you look at it, 31 years old versus Roman Bardet at 26, 26 or 25, Five, I think. Yeah. Uh, Adam Yates, best young rider, he's 23 years old. So Yates is only going to get better. Then you've got his brother who they say is equally as good. Well, he's a twin, uh, so you expect <laughs> him to be equal. Uh and there's an, I, I just think there's a lot of competition for that podium. I'm not saying Richie can't get there, um, but he's shown that he's able to not dwell too much on the th- bad stuff that has happened to him. Yeah. So effectively, what what Port did this this tour was prove that he's a three week genuine Grand Tour rider. Yes, and that he can he doesn't have that bad day that he's had in the past. Bar I mean, day. He, I mean, he had. Uh, <laughs> He had ba- he had bad days, but they weren't self-inflicted. Well, they weren't as a result of his condition. They were as a result of you know bad luck, which is and it, and it was good to see that he managed to rebound from that this time rather than the Giro last year where you know wheel gate and then crashes 
capitulated into further bad days in the time trial and then in the mountains, which then saw him leave the race. It was good to see that this time that didn't happen. He was able to last for a, a very good result with fifth overall on GC, which is a commendable result for anyone. Yeah, what what I'd like to know, uh, Phil, is what would happen in a situation where, you know, he wasn't having to make up time, you know, that that incident that um, where he got the front wheel puncture, I think, it was on stage two, it was very early on, he lost 145, uh, you know, he he had almost nothing to lose at, at that point, he was just trying to it's it's a different mindset when you go in as kind of status quo with the other GC contenders. So, and then also to do with outright leadership places a lot more pressure than it. I think it was good that he actually went in. People said, "Oh, geez, it only took TJ uh, seventeen stages or something to realise he wasn't a, a leader." But I think it's actually was good for Richie to go in his first Tour de France as a co-leader and then. Let's see what happens next year as the outright leader. Um, we're looking at uh, you know some of the other some of the other riders that kind of stick out for me as as riders who improved in this tour, like Richie, uh, obviously Dan Martin, who is you know you can consider him a m- mature rider, uh, and the other one is uh, Louis Menches in uh, in eighth place, the little South African climber. He's proven that uh, that he can now probably take a little bit more of a stab at some of the big, some of the other races as well. I don't think he's a grand he's a Tour de France winner, but there's certainly no reason to 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 say that maybe Menches in the proper conditions and this is something that Chris Froome has mentioned, in the proper conditions with the right support could take a few more steps up and maybe end up on a pro- podium and certainly Dan Martin feels that as well. Well, I I I disagree. I think, you know, if Louis Menkes can make the podium, why can't he why can't he make the top step of that podium? And if you look where he finished, he finished on exactly the same time as Joaquin Rodriguez, and it's interesting to see the disparity between those two riders. One's 37 and about to retire, and the other's uh, 23, 24, and, uh, you know, about, and has, still has the cycling world at his feet. So it's, it's very interesting to see that. And Joaquin Rodriguez, he wasn't really good until he was 30 or so, and he didn't start winning those big races until he reached that, that level of maturity. So there's still plenty of room for improvement for, for Menkes, I think. Yeah, with respect to Martin, he he said about three days ago he needs to work on his time trials. That's where he lost the bulk of his time. Well, that's where anyone aside from Froome, who was going for GC, lost the amount of time. It's, I mean, when you include two time trials, okay, Prudhomme has a proclivity now for shorter time trials, but they're still significant. I mean, there was more time lost in the time trials in the mountain stages. I mean, we had four mountaintop finishes. We had, uh, you know, Fino Emerson. We had Von Tu. We um, we had Arculus, and we had the Saint Gervais Mont Blanc. So. Out of four mountaintop finishes, the bulk of the time was lost in the time trials. Where do these guys need to improve if they want to get on par with Froome? It's the time trials. That's that's sorry. That's if Prudhomme decides to throw in a time. If he doesn't throw in one, then they don't need to improve. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, which you know could be a good thing. You know, to do at least one year and just kind of focus on on the climbers. I think. They they have had that. I mean, just last year they just had the short individual time trial in Utrecht. With the team time trial as well, though. Yeah, so uh, it is quite possible that Prudhomme will say... He's trying to make almost an anti-Froome tour, but this was sort of a 
quasi ante for him to, and he still won by four minutes. That's right. Uh, I guess another revelation. We're looking for revelations as well in this in this tour, and I guess Jarlinson Pantano would be another one as a guy who's been uncovered as 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 a high quality rider, but we don't really know what whether or not he's a GC kind of rider, do we? He well, he managed fourth at the Tour de Suisse. Tour de Suisse isn't the same level as a Dauphiné, even or or any Grand Tour, but. You know, he's shown that he's a very good climber. I think he's probably his top level is some, is something like Micah, and that's probably the sort of top level he can aspire to in the future. A guy who can be there on the toughest of mountain stages, but maybe doesn't quite have the consistency to do a three week Grand Tour. I'd love for him to prove me wrong and be a leader of a team. That would be great. It, it, he's suddenly lit up the the social media and you know captured captured some interest from people who, you know, a bit jaded about the sport, maybe. Well, certainly the polka dot, the polka dot jersey competition uh, was, is, is, would be a natural target for him in most of these races. He finished third behind Raffle Micah, who just, you just mentioned, and, of course, Thomas de Gent, who we mentioned earlier. So, you know, he's, th- this, this could be an interesting competition, look, looking at some of the guys who've finished uh, well, up the, well up the standings. Ilner Zakarin, Rui Costa. You know, it's it's he's that type of rider, I guess. High mountains, but not a full GC rider. And what are we thinking? Maybe Liège or that kind of a rider? Yeah, I I don't sort of know because he hasn't <clears throat> been given a leadership opportunity. And who, wherever he goes, um, because clearly, I am cycling is forwarding at the end of this season. So wherever he goes and whatever the sport directors say or management say where where he belongs uh, I, I mean perhaps if he did uh, work on his time trialing but clearly he in this tour he was going for he was a stage hunter because he knew that if he hunted a stage win and got one which he did then almost certainly he would be assured of quite a um you know healthy contract uh sprinting competition we mentioned Sagan uh we mentioned Andre Greipel uh, we mentioned Michael Matthews. Uh, there were a couple of disappointments in the sprinting classification, which was uh, Marcel Kittel, and uh, and I would uh, add Alexander Kristoff in there, perhaps Brian Cocard as well. Um, and then there was the missing pugnacious Kofidis rider, Nasser Buani. The pugilist. The pugilist. Um, other words beginning yeah. with P-U-G. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I don't think the peloton would, would miss him so much, but um, I reckon Kofidis and the sprinting competition in general, uh, probably missed his uh, his explosiveness, to put to put it in other words. Yeah, I mean, when you, a team centers their whole tour around one rider and it's a sprinter, <coughs> and then that sprinter doesn't show up. I mean, they were they were pretty much a headless chicken <laughs> running around France. I mean, it was pretty sort of silly. I mean, it's th- this is a thing. This is why that win last night meant so much to Gripel because he actually said at the start of this tour, pretty much the whole team is around me. Okay, you've got guys like DeHent uh, who are going for the, the stage wins, but really the, the team was centred around him and he sort of, he, he was flattered by by that and he, he wanted to prove himself, which he finally did. But, uh, you, you know, when you don't have that guy, that guy's remo- removed even before a pedal has been turned. It's it's kind of it becomes almost a nothing team. I think um, what would you say, given the fact that Marcel Kittel didn't perform up to this, his early season standards, um, would you say that uh, Ethics Quick Step is one of those teams at the Disc Tour that were an underperformer? 
Yeah, it's it's a bit harsh, I think, because they had a lot of good things about them. They had Alaphilippe going in a lot of moves, and he could have taken, you know, he could have taken wins. He did take some decent results, uh, nonetheless. But yes, without the that swag of Marcel Kittel victories, I mean, he managed one win and uh, two seconds, I think. But it was it wasn't quite the same tour that we come to expect from them. Even with Dan Martin in ninth, and to be honest, Dan Martin did it all by himself, so it wasn't really. A team effort so much in that class in that classification. And I noticed that um, on Twitter, Patrick Lefebvre uh, kind of went off this morning on Twitter, basically saying that you know the entire tour was shit. Yeah, I mean, I was about to mention before you mentioned the name Patrick Lefebvre, I was about to say that t- that guy he he sort of thrives on success, and he you know, he always he, he's he's almost. Um, it's not mercurial. He's he's almost, he's bipolar actually. You know the way he views wins and so or, or just racing. So uh, he, you know that that's why he he's he's basically um, Tom Bone and he's his love child pretty much. And you know that's why they signed him up again. I mean he's he he, he craves uh, notoriety. He wants things like the world champion jersey. He wants multiple stage wins. And if he doesn't get it, he pretty much lambast the whole squad squad yeah yeah so they've they've got a lot of um hard riding to do between now and uh and qatar i felt most sorry for tony martin i mean he pulled out on the final stage because it, this is how much pressure though that lefebvre puts on his riders i mean tony martin clearly he was he had his knees strapped i, th- I think for about the last nine days so clearly he, he wasn't his body wasn't working that well. And then he went in that breakaway with Philippe, And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing to do to rest, rest yourself up before Rio. Well, I, th- I thought it was a stupid move at the time. And I think it's even more stupid now, thinking back on it. Um, one thing we should probably talk about, though, is La Course. We haven't, yep. we haven't probably we- got into that yet. And it was, you know, it was a really dramatic stage, Tony. I'm not sure if you if you caught it uh, having your one rest day of the tour, but it was it was really enjoyable. And your your pick actually got up, Chloe Hosking. Yeah, well, you sort of picked her for me because I said there was a uh, writer, Georgia Bronzini. I only liked her name because her surname is more most closely resembles mine, Bronzini. So, Tan, so picking Tanzini. So, so picking a rider <laughs> based on the surname who wasn't in the race, and yeah. therefore we picked the rider on the same team. <laughs> Yeah, so, although you 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 provide you sort of provided me that start list, the virtual start list, so I'll blame Jamie for that. But no, I mean Chloe Hoskin, I I do know her reasonably well. Uh, interviewed her a number of times, and yeah, she just kind of needed to settle down a bit, and things are just falling into place for her. I mean, she's had quite a few good seasons now, and. When you look at that sprint on the Champs Elysees, it it just suited her to a tee. Doesn't really suit Mariana Voss. It, only Mariana Voss only won the inaugural race because she's Mariana Voss. But really, that that long drag on the cobbles suits a, a sprinter like Hosking. And she's looking so. I mean, she's really centered a whole season around the world. And and she's won she's won three world world tour races, women's world tour races this year. So she's matured. As a rider, I mean, the, the result in some ways, it, it's a funny race, that one, because it's short, right? So it's not tremendously demanding in any way. Uh, it's only, what, 83K for the women or something like that. And there's, there are some calls out there to make the, the women's race longer, which I think is, is a pretty solid argument, which would change the nature of the way that race would play out than, than it currently does. 
but it's also a good pointer for her towards the world championships championships in guitar, which you know it's it's going to be a flat fast race, and this kind of thing that could suit her. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just also like the story how you know her and uh, Rochelle Gilmore, who's now her boss, you know they basically were vying for leadership at the Del- the Commonwealth Games in Delhi. Um, and then I guess Rochelle, you know, shows her maturity that Rochelle actually won that that, that day. Uh, but it, And then Chloe was really annoyed with that because she thought she deserved the, the leadership role. But it shows you, you know, they both came together to reach an agreement two years ago and now she finds herself riding on the team owned by Rochelle and, uh, yeah, that was one race I did stay up to watch last night, and I th- I thought you know, g- good on her, and uh, yeah, over a longer distance, I think she'll still have it because Qatar is really, even though it's longer, it's really probably going to be all about the crosswinds and the yeah. position. Yeah, yeah, the and they went through the Qatar, um, they went through a quick preview of the Qatar Worlds course at the tour, of, the ladies' um, tour of Qatar down there early in February, actually. And Hosking did win a stage. She didn't win it on the World Championship course. That was actually Kirsten Ville who won that stage. So I think I think Kirsten Ville will probably still go in in the favourite as she is in our powerhouse sprinter. But it will be very interesting to see how, how they go on that course. Okay. Well, we've pretty much come to the end of, uh, end of our Tour de France as well. In fact, this, uh, this signals the end of our Tour de France. Uh, any last words from Ru- either of you? Rui Costa. I haven't, managed, I haven't mentioned him yet. Got absolutely robbed for most combative rider. I can't believe it. I I sort of have to agree. I, I didn't think Sagan, he was combative, but he wasn't the most combative. And I think uh, because Rui, I mean, he didn't win a stage, right? So I think he deserves something for his efforts. And like I said, there were so many guys who were vying, who could have won that, but really... Rui should have won that. Yeah, well, it's a consolation prize at best, and all the other guys who were in contention won something. So, yeah, give it to Rui. And on that note, so we started with Rui on uh, pod one, and we'll end with Rui. Uh, But a personal message from me, I guess, is that uh, I'd like to thank everyone for watching and uh, listening and what reading on the website and just giving us your traffic and giving us your attention. And uh, it was, uh, as usual, very enjoyable, very hard for our hard-working crew. We're, we're small, but uh, we dig deep, and uh, we've... Uh, I don't mind awarding ourselves a combativ- combativity prize. And on that note, see you next year. <laughs>